Hello, everybody, and welcome to the China Tech Investor Podcast, powered by TechNode, seeking truth from facts when it comes to Chinese tech stocks and IPOs. I'm Elliot Zagman, and with me is a man who wishes he might have paid more attention to his sports cards collection as a child when seeing how they are now performing. It's James Hall. I actually have no idea what you're talking about. Are sports cards doing well? Is that like a? Have you been following sports cards lately? No. It, it's it's like the they're going nuts. The especially like a from what I understand, basketball cards are the ones that are the most you know just kind of shooting up there. But you know, like I I collected sports cards when I was a kid, and apparently, like you know, I when I was in the 2000s, I was like, well, these things are going to be worthless. They're probably somewhere in a in a closet you know my parents home or something but uh yeah they're going they're going nuts right now it's like the you know it's one of those you know kind of booming asset classes but it's interesting anyways james hello <laughs> good to be here joining us james do you want to quick give our disclaimer uh oh yeah i could do that let's see here we got a disclaimer nothing said in this podcast uh is investment advice like as always and even if it sounds like advice it is not so don't take it as such uh while we try not to we and our guests uh may get our our numbers wrong when we say you know numbers and things so do your own research double check everything and do not make any investment decisions based on what you hear here Yep, we are uh, incredible podcast hosts, meaning that we are not credible. And uh, for our our, our third kind of co-host, our semi the the point five of our two point five here that joins us every time we have uh, earnings, which is what we're going to talk about today. It is a man who insists that he has no relation with the cat of Mister. Filch, the groundskeeper at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. It's Michael Norris. Hey, Michael. Hi, Elliot. Hi, James. I swear these intros get more and more convoluted with each earnings that I go through with you guys. The, his his cat, his cat. So, Mister Filch, right? The the groundskeeper at Hogwarts has a cat, and you know the name of the cat. Uh Gee, testing me here. No, I. Ah, Mrs. Norris. Mrs. Norris. Oh, very well done. Okay. I, I really, I, I spend a significant amount of time thinking about this over dinner. This before I record this podcast, I'm like, okay, how can I get? Anyway, Michael James. So we're gonna do, um, we're gonna do earnings today, but first, techno.com/newsletters for your daily dose of China tech. We're going to talk about three different companies today, but also we're going to talk about three different. We're going to keep it keep it light and keep it positive today because all three of the companies that we're, we're going to talk today or talk about today uh, have have performed quite well or quite well, or at least their stock has performed quite well. We're going to talk about Billy Billy. We're going to talk about Pinduoduo, and we're going to talk about Tencent. But before that, uh, make sure that you, if you want to contact any of us, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm Elliot Zagman, E-L-L-I-O-T-T-Z-A-A-G-M-A-N. James is James Hull X, J-A-M-E-S-H-U-L-L-X. And Michael is Brief Norris, B-R-I-E-F-N-O-R-R-I-S. <sighs> Anyways, let's start talking about some of these uh, these earnings reports here. The one that I am most happy with, because full disclosure, I, I have the uh, the largest chunk 
of my uh, my allocation to these guys. It's Billy Billy. Billy Billy continues to to thrill us all with <laughs> with or at least with with another uh, uh, earnings report that um, that impressed uh, investors. That's for sure. So I, I've seen. I don't know the exact number. I saw. Last time I checked, they went up over twenty percent uh, since they posted. Their margins are getting worse, but their top line revenue and their users keep growing. And when it comes to these, you know, these growth companies, this is what investors really seem to want more than anything else. So, so uh, can I just do the quick uh, breakdown on the price to sales of what what these guys are trading at real quick. Yeah, go ahead. So we, let's do, we're doing Billy Billy first and then we're doing Pinduoduo and then we're doing 10 cents. So Billy Billy's price of sales is 13.2 right now. Pinduoduo is 25.4-ish and 10 cent is 10 point, call it 4-ish. Pretty, pretty wild, but you know, high growth Pinduoduo kind of, I guess can kind of justify that. But uh, yeah, all right. But everything is expensive right now. I mean, it's, they've been expensive for a lot of the year. <laughs> but let's talk about Billy Billy. Like, so Billy Billy, their margins are not getting better, but they they keep growing. Um, and what does that mean? So, Michael, why don't you uh, kick us off here and uh, and tell us a little bit more about what you think about that? Sure. So let's go with the highlights. You said to keep it positive, L. So here's a couple of numbers that make uh, folks that we don't have to we don't have to keep it entirely positive. Don't. <laughs> <you>. <laughs> oh, it's okay. I'm willing to play ball. Dig into it. We seek truth from facts, Michael. Here we go. So total net revenues reached 475 million US dollars, which represents a 74 percent increase from the same period in 2019. You've got average monthly active users reaching 197.2 million, which represents an increase of 54% from the same period in 2019. Daily users up as well, now sitting at around 53 million. Importantly, the number of users that are paying to be a fully paid up member of Billy Billy increased a lot and currently sits at around 15 million. So that's 15 million over an active user base of around 200 million. So again, not exactly Netflix subscriber numbers, but that's not really the point with Billy Billy. Billy Billy, um, unlike other entertainment platforms, has a very, very diversified revenue base encompassing games, encompassing subscription revenue, encompassing live stream revenue, and e-commerce revenue. So looking pretty good, and just breaking down each of those different uh, chunks of the business. So the mobile games uh, contributed around 107, uh, 187 million bucks of revenue, increasing by 37% from the same period. The value-added services, important to note what exactly is in this. It includes the subscription revenue plus the live broadcasting, so that's the live streaming revenue. That is up to $144 million US dollars, um, which represents an increase of 116% from the same period in 2019. So that's come from 
absolutely bloody nowhere to be Billy Billy's second largest chunk of revenue within about the space of a year, sort of backing it all back. Next up, advertising, again, triple-digit growth, so growing at 126% from 2019 to be about $82 million US dollars. And then finally, bringing up the rear e-commerce, 83% growth, now sitting at about $60 million US dollars. So looking at that top line, all of those business units seem to be pulling their weight um, with the star performer being the value-added services and advertising. The takeaways that our listeners can have from that is that there are more and more people tuning in to live stream broadcasts on Billy Billy and paying or donating, depending on your interpretation, um, money to content creators, which uh, Billy Billy takes a cut from, and of course, more and more brands coming onto the platform precipitating an increase in the advertising dollars coming through. Obviously, a number of brands want to get their hands on the wallets of Gen Z, who are the mainstay of Billy Billy's audience. And so that wraps up the highlights. Joe, it's China, so we have to call him Joe Ling Ho. That's uh, the, the post-90s, I guess, or post-2000s. Or, oh, or, dude, I think we're, we're in Ling Ling Ho now. Yeah, yeah Ling Ling Ho. <laughs> yeah, uh, even 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 younger. That's right. Yeah. J- James, any thoughts that you have looking at this? Yeah, I mean, I just you know I read through their uh, earnings transcript, and um, I mean, one of the things that kind of stood out to me is that their you know as each year goes by, their users you know their their average user age you would expect to kind of increase, but actually it it's uh, it tends to stay the same. So they're kind of adding more younger users, that same cohort, you know, I think they're mainly like teenagers, uh, you know, below 20. And if you play, like I went, I went and played a couple Billy Billy's games a while ago. And like, they are, I mean, if you're over the age of 20, I can't imagine how you could actually play these (laughs) games. They're pretty, they're definitely geared towards young people. But I also noticed, interestingly, they, uh, you know, they have some, some new business kind of agreements and partnerships going on. They have one with uh, Bunchy Media, which is listed in uh, Hong Kong, and they're going to be bringing on, they made an investment in them, and they got exclusive broadcasting rights to their high-quality movies and TV drama series. They entered into a three-year exclusive partnership with Riot Games, which I think Tencent's invested in, like, Billy Billy and... Riot Games to give them the uh, broadcasting rights of League of Legends oh. World Championship, which is a, a big deal in in China uh, and I guess Asia, South Korea particularly. But I don't think they get since well, I don't think they get worldwide broadcasting rights. But anyway, also kind of just interestingly, you mentioned Harry Potter. I think they're launching a game with NetEase, which is interesting, right? That NetEase, Tencent. Uh, a Harry Potter game. Well, this is this is this is what I love about what they're doing from a strategic perspective. That so we we've talked about them. You know, as long as we've talked about them, it's been this is a dilemma of how do you keep your niche while you know expanding it in a way that satisfies investors while staying true to your 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 brand, right? And we're seeing right now that they seem to be doing this pretty well that 
when they're growing, they're growing with more young people. And then when they're making these these brand collaborations, which I think have been they've been made a number of very, I think, smart and savvy ones. They they made one with the BBC as well. And I I don't once again disclaimer. I mean we don't. I might, we might be wrong with some of this info, but I, every time that I see them make a, a brand co- or, or a brand collaboration, it is very conscious of what their brand is and who they're looking to attract. And we're seeing this in their growth numbers, which are very high value demographics. It's young people. It's people who, you know, they're still hip. They're still, in a lot of ways, contributing to the user generated side of the platform as well. And, and it's kind of progressing the way that I think I would like to see this platform progress. And that's why, you know, I'm, I'm so excited to be a, a shareholder of theirs. Yeah. It, also, interestingly, when they're new, their users, they're adding, they're getting kind of a good demographic breakdown in terms of a geographic breakdown in China. So they're getting, you know, third tier and below as well as above. It seems like the split's like 50-50 based on the, what they said on the, on the earnings call, but I, you know, I can't tell. They didn't give specifics. They also talked about some interesting trends. So one is the videoization trend, which I thought is an interesting word. And it's kind of right. I mean, you know, people prefer are preferring to watch video over other types of content. And they also, another trend that I thought was very interesting is um, that Billy Billy is the pioneer in is this, the video community trend, kind of leaving, like, you know, this growing video community industry. And I think it seems like Tencent sort of getting into that a little bit. And I think there's probably some, you know, some in the tech kind of tech, China tech world, you know, some spectators that are watching Billy Billy and are sort of jealous of their, you know, professional user generated content, which to me has always been kind of their main uh, awesome thing they have. I, I was always less interested in them spending a ton of money on buying original content um, and locking in, you know, new, new content through, through purchases. But it seems like they have managed to got. They said on the call they've managed to get enough revenue to cover that expense of buying content and creating content themselves. So it's just you know, it, lots of things are going well for them. I gotta say that last point, James, is they remain cool. Yeah, that's right. And that last point is so interesting, isn't it? Because in a world of ever increasing content budgets, the ability for a platform, irrespective of whether it's China or overseas, to be able to say, well, with the additional content spend, we actually get a number of paying users uh, to come onto the platform and we can make ends meet on that additional expenditure. That's really rare. And so well done to the team to be able to make that work. Of course, that deepening content offer, irrespective of whether it's games, education, ACG content, that's all contributing to more and more time on device. And I think that there was a fantastic little chart not too long ago which showed Billy Billy's steady uptick in terms of the number of minutes it's able to extract from 
users on average per day. And it's right up there with the big boys like Douyin and the like. I think it's sitting at around Mm. 80-odd minutes a day on average. (laughs) So this is not just a video platform, it's an entertainment hub. And so that's just really important for everybody to keep in the back of their mind. And then the last thing that I'll say about this particular company is, of course, about a month ago, we had reports of the secondary listing in Hong Kong, which would give them around $1.5 billion in additional capital. Key question, I guess, is what are they going to do with that cash? And one of the things that I've sort of been noodling on is whether or not they need to go out and develop their own games or whether the business model can continue to work Mm. with them being principally a distributor of games. Yeah. So that's just important for for folks to understand as they uh, look through the mobile gaming segment of of Billy Billy, the largest revenue contributor. Um, It's mainly based on distribution uh, rather than uh, titles that they've developed themselves and that they're monetizing through the platform. So just something, a couple of interesting questions up ahead. What are you going to do with that cash? Yeah, because well, what I wonder, they do have some conflicting interests here. Not going to return it to shareholders. We'll see. <laughs> I don't think so. But if... <laughs> I, I the so what what I, what I wonder about is this is that they have they have some conflicting interests here. One is that they are kind of part of this this Tencent ecosystem. Tencent is a big investor in them, and you know they've they are they are the now the as James mentioned the what is it the they have the rights to to stream League of Legends right that they're they are distributing these games. The more they try to actually get into these other spaces, like for example, creating games themselves. Then they start to step on the toes of their their what they might consider to be their allies, right? So where is where is the space for them to grow that has the least resistance and the least you know conflict of interest? I guess you know where is the easiest space for them to sprint ahead? That would be the the question that I would have there, and and I would worry when it comes to game development itself that they might be starting to step on some of the their allies toes in that sense but but we'll see one one just quick thing about they said on the call which i think is sort of in an, sort of an answer to that but they said that their their results have kind of shown that their ability to increase their ad revenue and kind of their their i guess their ad loads and and charging more for ads has uh has kind of shown that this model of you know having user generated content having focusing on ip which i think ties in with the U- with the ugc uh and their own ogv the uh basically it's it allows them because users like their content so much and they want to watch it they can kind of charge more for the ads that they're showing them and i don't i don't know if that's also, it could also be because those users are harder to find elsewhere, and there's some sort of demographic there that's that's unique. But I'm not sure about that because if, I feel like Tencent and particularly Weixing WeChat should have 
pretty good ability to target different demographics as well. So, Mm. but maybe you don't have the same, you know, kind of time spent in terms of a, you know, a one block of time, you know, like when you're consuming some content, whether it's short form, mid form or long form video, uh, you might not have the same kind of engagement um, over, over the, that contents. Now the quality of the quality of the attention. Yeah. Anyway, Michael, I, I want to ask you one question before we move off to, to, to Billy Billy um, to, to the next one. So like, I, I obviously really like this company you know, they, they perform very well. What's the bear case? Like, why should someone like me move off of them? What's, what should we be looking for that are the, the kind of warning signs here? Oh, wow. Um, well, uh, full disclosure, I did contemplate um, having a look at Billy Billy right at the outset of the pandemic's outbreak in China, just as a stay at home play. So I, I like this name generally. I think the thing to watch out for is this marketing spend, which is just a giant turd stain on the income statement. I mean, we're spending uh, mega dollars. uh, Let's have a look. So we're spending $175 million in the quarter, representing a 227% increase year over year. Now, The interesting thing and the thing to note, which we can't quite pass here, is how much of that spend was associated with the app and brand, as well as the promotional expenses for the company's mobile games. The softer mobile game revenue uh, growing at 30-something percent compared to some of the other business units, which are growing at 80-plus percent, perhaps suggests that this the the games that they're trying to distribute they've got to work a little bit harder to be able to push those which maybe suggests that the titles that they're repping aren't actually that attractive uh to to james's point earlier i think the thing about the games is that whether it's the self-developed i um gaming ip or the uh, gaming ip that they're distributing through their platform it is generally centered towards this ACG fan base, so the sort of the anime-centric gaming titles. And that's that's a niche. There is a certain faddishness to particular titles uh, within that genre, and that might be what's driving the, you know, this, this increase in sales and marketing expenses. But the other thing that worries me a wee bit is just the user profile that's coming through. We talked a little bit about that. I don't want to expand too much on it, but the idea that you're spending uh, big dollars to attract a user profile that is not materially different from what you had to begin with, you know, there's that great saying that uh, um, half of your marketing spend will be wasted, but you never know which half is the most wasteful half. And I think that that's the case here. The the app and brand promotion, there's some brand building which takes a while to materialize, uh, but that 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 was the only thing that's a little bit dis- mm. disturbing to me. Perhaps the the gaming engine uh, losing some steam. Mm. Perhaps that's the sort of thing to watch out for. James's point about the valuation earlier was <laughs> was good too. Yeah. So the uh, the sales and marketing. I mean, the it it was based on in Q one of this year. It was six hundred and six million RMB. This is all millions of RMB. Then it was 208, 
And then last quarter, Q3, it was $1.19 billion. So we're up uh, an order of magnitude here, you know, compared to last year, Q3, which was $364 million. I mean, call it 400 call this $1.2 billion. I mean, that's three times million. I mean, there's a serious increase in, in marketing spend here. And they didn't really talk about this on the earnings call. Yeah. You know, you kind of wonder, like... If you're managing a, a, a China growth fund, which is where Billy Billy will be in, like, you're not looking at those margins. You're looking at, okay, where's these? where are these growth numbers coming from? And I think that's, that's exactly the, the audience they're playing to, and I think that that's working for them. That's, uh, that seems to be the case. Yeah, no, they're, they're what, I mean, the, the, the bull case would be, look, they got to increase their sales and marketing. Sales and marketing isn't really an expense. It's an investment in their growth, you know, depending on what they're spending it on, obviously. If it's, yeah, so, okay, here, the increase was mainly attributable to the increased channel and marketing expenses associated with our app and brand as well as increased expenses for our mobile games and sales and marketing personnel. So it's the channel, the channel expenses, Mm -hmm. which I guess are not in their control. But they're also talking about they want to build their brand appeal to a larger audience, which is one of their key initiatives, which is kind of funny because they're, anyway, it's, we're we're kind of going a little along on this, but it's kind of funny because the demographics are still kind of in the same average age group and broader audience. You kind of, you probably need to get some older people, but in longer term, based on their niche, I, I don't think they have to get that. But if they want a broader audience and they probably want higher spending users, you know, if you look at their their spend on uh, games and you know the average paying user kind of spend, they break this out in their in their annual report, and it's actually very nice that they do this because most firms don't. Pinduoduo being one of them, you know, they give you like not the quarters numbers, they give you like, you know, four quarters back the average numbers. But anyway, um, Billy Billy gives you a lot more detail and you can see those, those average revenue per user are kind of trending downward, but but I think that's to be expected as they go, you know, whereas it's a, you know, diminishing marginal returns. But that is the thing that I I really like about them is that they have these key demographics. But, you know, we'll see as as they go forward. Another thing that I'm worried about is, you know, we've we saw YY get hit with this Muddy Waters report that estimated what 90 percent of their their uh, reported traffic was fake that we've seen this we've seen these reports come out with uh with Aichi although they've been contested you know YY is contesting there as well Billy Billy would be the one that I would would least expect to have this but it's still something that I that I that I wonder about um although there's not you know just from my the 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 sniffing around that I do that it seems to be the least likely one to there, there seems to be the least amount of red, red flags there. But anyways, let's move on. Um, I mean, the, the, the way YY is sort of set up is it's set up to kind of encourage tons of bad stuff mm. like that. You know, it's all about a competition and who gets the most views. You have agencies involved that are backing these live streamer guy, broadcasters. So they're designed to, to, to game the system. And there's a bunch of pot of gold kind of at the end of the year like some big big uh you get a big uh reward at the end of the year which gives you better 
terms on your uh, take rates for the following year. So you really want to win these competitions. And so it's just, it's just, it's, they, they incentivize that. It's kind of sick. It's kind of a, it's kind of a fraud, a fraud machine <laughs> anyways. So let, but let's move on to, uh, to Pinduoduo here. So Pinduoduo had a, a very, very good third quarter results here. Uh, they performed well in the top line and the bottom line, but two numbers that I look at here when it comes to where the growth is coming from, I mean, the, the, the market responded very well. They jumped, you know, twenty percent, which is which is huge for them because they're already a million plus dollar co- or billion hundred billion plus dollar company. But the two numbers that are cited here as being their big star superstar numbers are one monthly average users and two GMV, so to- total gross, gross merchandise volume. So these are these strike me as two numbers that are probably the most, the easiest to juice if you would like to, right? So if you want to spend on marketing and you want to, you know, get somebody to use it at least once a month, like that's something that if you spend enough on marketing, you can do. If you want to total your GMV, if you offer enough discounts, if you have enough sales, if you, you know, there are ways in which you can do this. So that is, is, is what concerns me a little bit. Although, you know, Pindodog keeps, defying the the bears and keeps keeps performing so so i don't know what to think uh speaking of pindodo bears michael <laughs> why don't you chime in here yeah so so my uh let's call it war of words with the company started at the top of the year when i said that the thing that's going to be driving the stock this year is the revenue pindodo has a huge user base but at the top of the year wasn't pulling in the revenue that one would expect at the valuation. And the valuation that investors expect Pinodor to grow to is about a third of Alibaba e-commerce marketplace. And so what we've had over the past two quarters is fair revenue growth, in particular this quarter, quarter three, which um, for those who... Uh, perhaps not super familiar with China's e-commerce landscape, is the sleepy quarter of the year. There's no major e-commerce festival in uh, Q3. The big ones are Q2 and Q4, and Q3 and Q1 sleepy quarters. Now, yes, uh, in, 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 indeed, by virtue of, um, of Chinese New Year and, um, and uh, all, the, uh, all the delivery guys go home and, uh, and and the like. So a good, a really good beat on the revenue for Q3. And so given that that precipitated a, a pretty rapid increase in uh, Pinador stock price almost overnight, I would say that I'm, I'm vindicated insofar as, see, Pinador, I told you the revenue beat is exactly what folks are looking for. The only worry that I have about that big Q3 revenue beat is that I have some alternate data which suggests that um, there is a a user retention issue with some of the, the MAUs perhaps sliding off a wee bit and also the number of subsidized items as part of the subsidy scheme, the Bayibutia subsidy scheme, has increased a lot. And so what I can't quite piece together is the connection between 
big uh, revenue beats in terms of merchant advertising spend and a couple of other indicators which suggest that um, all things considered, e-commerce in China in Q3 should have been pretty soft. And you had JD and Barber just getting towards revenue estimates, but you had PDD smash them. And I didn't hear on the call, uh, nor when I reviewed the transcript, nobody's asking this question. How can uh, six consecutive quarters of GMV uh, or declining GMV growth suddenly turn around in what is generally a sleepy Q3 quarter? There's two questions that I would have there. Two questions that I have about that. One would be, that if JD and Alibaba are having a sleepy quarter, my guess is that they might not be really juicing their their marketing spend, right? So that if someone else is, right, being the, the third player there, then that is that would make some sense, right? And Pinduoduo does spend a lot on marketing. We know this. The, the next one is about agriculture, um, that we know that Pinduoduo has been very aggressive in kind of increasing their their reach into the agriculture space. And that is a very high GMV space, right? It's not high margins, but it's high GMV. So that that those are my two thoughts that immediately come to mind. I, I want to know if you guys have any thoughts on that. I think I think the connection between revenue and advertising expenses isn't as clear as, as what it once was. I mean before you could pretty confidently point at the sales and marketing expenses and you could say that it was essentially a dollar in, dollar out. Now that's not the case. You know, that marketing spend is increasing, but the revenue is increasing much faster. And as a result, the um, the percentage of revenue that uh, is occupied by sales and marketing expenses has, has, sort of, has sort of gone down over the last couple of quarters. So, yeah, when I'm looking at this, I'm looking at a GMV turnaround, which suggests um, very, very strong growth, but that hasn't that outperformance hasn't been fully explained by the management, nor were the people on the call clued up enough mm. to ask that particular question. Instead, and if you allow me to slightly digress, we had five <laughs> questions about Dodomat's hat which had varying mm. degrees of overlap. I don't think that that was the best use of everybody's time on the call. James. Yeah, that's so so the thing about the GMV and the revenue and in particular online marketing services, the trailing, you know, they do trailing 12 month GMV, it was up year over year 73%, while online marketing services was up year over year and this is just the uh, the quarter was up 92%. So what was the quarterly increase in GMV? Uh, with my kind of tweaks and estimates, you know, and if this is probably mine or probably wrong, but I have 78%. And that's probably ballpark accurate, uh, but it's quite a bit below the year-over-year change in online marketing services. So that suggests that there's an increase in take rate happening. And back in Q1 of this year, take rate, just plummeted down to like 2% in my quarterly estimates. They're pushing the vendors a bit more then to 
to, to extract more from them then? No, they're so they're supposedly they're charging. Yeah, they're charging more. They're getting more kind of on, like revenue from online marketing services. Like vendors, merchants are paying more to sell and market their their wares. And so that's that's a positive development, right? I mean, now I have it at three point three percent on a trailing twelve month basis. It's basically always around three percent. So when we take in that two percent, and then the rest of the quarters of the last four quarters, it, it still averages out around three percent. But you know, I think uh, there's going to be some noise on the quarterly basis as they kind of tweak this up and down. You know, I think they tweaked it down a lot in Q1 because it was just a really rough, rough quarter, and they still managed to get some, you know, increase on a 12-month basis. But the GMV did go down. I have uh, on a quarterly basis in Q1, so I think they kind of tweak it around. My thing with Pinduoduo, and it's always been the same thing, is this this idea that, you know, what are what are they spending on promotions and coupons? That's the that's the key to me. Uh, you know, I don't think you can. You know, you, like you go on Twitter and you see some people talking about um, how much free cash flow they can create, and they just look at what the numbers that they they put in their you know cash flow statement, and the operating cash flow looks incredible. It's like eight point three billion RMB, and then so you just take that, and then they have some some uh, you know investing cash flows only negative four hundred and fifty five million. So, you know, you, you subtract all of that expecting it to be CapEx and you still have like a nice, beautiful, positive free cash flow. But that's not the way you do free cash flow for Pinduoduo. Pinduoduo, you have to take out a number of things. You could take the shortcut and just take out restricted cash. And so you get, you know, 8.3 minus restricted cash gives you 1.97. And then you can also take out CapEx if you want to get free cash flow of let's just call it half a million, half a billion. So you're you know you're about 1.4 billion RMB, which is not bad for a quarter, right? You know, but it's it's significantly lower than this top line number if you don't make those adjustments. I would argue you should make other adjustments. You should also take out. Instead of doing the shortcut restricted cash, I think you should take out the change in payables to merchants, change in merchant deposits, not the actual amounts because it's a balance sheet item. You got to take the difference. And there you get down to 1.35. And then you take out that, you know, call it half a billion, you know, and you're you're below a billion RMB in free cash flow. So that's not too great. And that's why I think they're constantly raising money. And they need to have this cash balance that looks extremely healthy because otherwise, if they didn't raise this much, this much money, I think they would be, we would see a kind of nice slow decline in their cash balance. But what we do see is, is uh, it's actually kind of increasing. I think what we can say is that, I mean, for, for all the things we want to criticize about them, I mean, they do seem to, to understand how to operate in a low interest rate um, high liquidity environment. <laughs> that's for sure. Right. So they, they, uh, I think earlier this was, I I'm what the story I'm looking at is November 18 is that the number that I see here is that they, they issued new, uh, bonds and equity offerings first over six billion. 
So I don't know what the number is, but somewhere between around five or six billion is what they ended up bringing in from what I hear. That's that's dollars. I yeah, think. U.S. dollars. Exactly. I mean, so they keep on being able to bring in cash. I mean, so so they keep playing this this financial game. Right. So the, the terms, the terms of the I, I looked I looked at the I looked at the convert. I mean, it's like there's a part of it's a convert part of it's uh, I think they actually just offered ADS directly. Uh, I think the ADS piece was like 1.3, 1.4. I think there was some extra. Uh, but anyway, the convertible, I think it has some, like, there's no interest on it. Zero interest. But it's like, uh, for, and I'm just going off memory here, so look this up, people. It's, there's some, like, if the shares don't double or some multiple of shares by a certain date, call it, you know, a year or two out, then Pinduoduo has to kind of, then there's some sort of payment thing that happens, but otherwise they can convert. Well, that is interesting. Yeah. Otherwise then they convert. Yeah. So, I mean, look, there's investors think this thing is going to go through the roof and you know what it, it probably is because they have a lot of cash. They're going to spend it on growth the quality of that. Now, if you listen to JD and their earnings calls, you know, they take kind of shots across the bow at Pinduoduo, which is always entertaining, but, you know, they're talking about the quality of growth. And, you know, if you think that once you get users into Pinduoduo's system, they come there because of the discounts, they come there because of the, all the marketing spend. You, if you think they're going to stay, right. And they're beholden to, they're going to, you know, do a lot of their purchasing through Pinduoduo and increasing amount of their purchasing through Pinduoduo, by the way, not just, you know, what they were doing before, you know, that's that, then that's super bullish. But I think JD would argue like spending all that much money to buy users is less like quality than spending on, on, you know, building out a logistics platform and improving the structural offering that you have to your merchants and to your users i mean that's to me i kind of i agree with jd but you know maybe maybe it is sticky maybe maybe the door door might high i mean obviously they want sticky and you know more frequency which is groceries the highest frequency of all the um shopping i think we do you know that'll that could have it now they're not the only ones going into grocery but they are the only ones going into agriculture, you know, from the farmer. They're aggressive. They're really aggressive. And and I don't, I can't, I can't really tell how much has already be, been done, and how much is like kind of what they're talking about doing. It sounds yeah. like the there's a lot more talking about what they're going to do than what's actually already been done. But part of that, part of that, yeah, that was the. That was the point that I wanted to make. Yeah, part of that big fundraise was to build out this this agriculture piece. And look, it's interesting. So I wanted sure. So I well, let me finish with Pinduoduo. Look, you guys go ahead. But I have one thing I want to okay. bring up that a listener sent me that is kind of interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go. Should I do that now? Go for it. Okay, so let me. Well, why don't you guys make some comments while I can pull it up? Sure. <laughs> the only thing that I wanted to say. You, is just on that, James. We heard the big, let's say, strategic move into agriculture. You'll recall from my comments last time on the pod, I said, you know, find me 
analyst that is e-commerce times agriculture. I don't think that that particular individual exists. But when you look and you line by line everything on the the income statement and the balance sheet, we haven't quite seen the big investment in modernizing or improving agricultural supply chains. Instead, much of the spend, it seems, has been training up agricultural uh, producing regions on selling on Pindledore. And while that's all great, what we should expect, I think, once we've got this, once Pindledore have, have got this chunk of cash in their hand, is perhaps some investment or some, uh, whether it's through acquisition or whether it's off their own back, in terms of the various infrastructure developments that are needed to be able to exactly yeah. improve irrigation, um, to be able to, yeah, exactly, to be able to make those productivity level changes on farmsteads in China. Now, who knows how big that level of investment is, and it's just worth keeping in the back of our minds that that could be, that's a, that's a, that's a range of, of possibilities and a range of outcomes. Elliot? The, my thought here, and I've said it before, is that with Pinduoduo, it's all about institutionalization. Because institutionalization is the safe space for them. Is that so? If if you become a a company or a, a, an institution that the system cannot live without, in a way that, for example, Alibaba is, in a way that, in a lot of ways, J a lot of ways JD is, that the Chinese economy and the Chinese system cannot function without, then that offers you a lot of leeway. It offers you leeway to make profit. It all also offers you leeway to to be able to you know get a cover up in any uh, you know any sort of um, you know high risk uh, maneuvers that you're doing as well. And while whereas with JD it's been in, log- in logistics, with Alibaba it's been in kind of providing this marketplace and being this kind of key intermediary. With with Pinduoduo, their eyes are very firmly set on agriculture, and and whether or not they are sustainable, to me, it's entirely based on whether or not they can create a sort of you know a, few, a, a series of killer apps, to use a, a a phrase from you know ten years ago, uh, uh, that that the Chinese agricultural system cannot function without. Uh, and that is that is really what I'm looking for. Yeah. So Pinduoduo. Before I get to what the user, our listener, sent us um, or sent me, the Pinduoduo did mention that on the call that they think agriculture is kind of lagging behind the rest of you know China's economic growth miracle because of its lacking out its lacking of digitalization, which I think is just absolutely ridiculous. The reason why agriculture, and there's several uh, Chinese economists have written about this. Zhu, Zhu Ning is, is one uh, who's written about it, I think. The reason why it's kind of lagged behind is uh, is there's just been very regressive sort of unfair tax like rules and, and policies for the farmers. There's also farmers don't have the same ability to mortgage their property as city dwellers have mm. to mortgage their apartments. So there's just, there's, there's a lot of uh, kind of just 
simple economic stuff, the deeper systemic the structural problems, yeah. then nothing nothing to do with digitalization that would improve uh, farmers and agriculture's um, economic development and allow them to. And does Pinot Doyle have the ha- have the heft to help help push those reforms through? I, I don't think that they do. And I, and they can't really talk about those because those are you know policy things yeah. and they got to stay in their lane. Okay, so getting to, you know, as we see by Jack Ma and his comments anyway, but um, let's get to, this is from a listener, and he brought this up, and I thought it was just, wow, kind of blew my mind. But, so, have either of you guys looked at Pindodor's PP&E? It's in, take a look at it, it's insanely low. I mean, Mm. it's like lower than low, It, it makes no sense, okay? So, and this goes back to what, Michael, I think you were saying about, investment in like actual tangible stuff instead of like quote unquote training which is you know who knows how many little leaks or anyway there a lot of stuff can happen there so it, this analysis that the listener did he he took pp&e and he took the number of employees and i'm just going to focus he did some other things but i'm just going to focus on this and he divided pp&e by the number of employees these different marketplaces have. That's property, plant, and equipment. That's the like hard fixed assets of the company. That's the buildings that they own. The yeah, technically, I mean, Pin- Pindodor calls them something else. Uh, it's actually called like yeah, property, equipment, and software. Okay, that's what they call it. And we're do- we're looking at millions of dollars. Okay, so they took it's for Pindodor. It's amazing. It's five point nine. That's 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 million. A hundred billion dollar company. This is a, a company with a GMV of a hundred and forty one, a hundred and forty one billion GMV. Wow. Okay, you divide this by their number of employees, which is five thousand eight hundred and thirty ish, which is basically a thousand dollars an employee. Wow, that's like how much does it cost to buy desks and chairs and like laptops and, and shit for people? Hmm. Sorry, I shouldn't curse. Um, real, real talk, James. Real talk. And and this and this comes back, James. I think to uh, the 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 original Blue Orca short report, which seems a distant memory, but I find it useful to refer to from time to time as a uh, as a sort of a, a dose of cynicism to make up for the uh, mostly American. Sorry, James and Elliot, tourists that comment on PDD's greatness. <laughs> but one of the claims are you talking in, about? Are you talking about a, a certain, uh, a certain, uh, uh, you know, popular on on social media uh, venture capitalist, maybe from the state <laughs> of Michigan? Uh, we've. Um, I, I. Is this the <laughs> verbal equivalent of subtweeting? Yes. No comment. So at any, he's a good guy. I like him at, a lot. At, 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 um, yes. Yes. Subpotting. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, so let me just finish this real quick before before Mike because he, he compared it to other market other uh, marketplaces and the so it's a thousand dollars per employee. So for Mercari, for Etsy, for Groupon, for eBay. Okay, let's just look at these. It's and I'm just going to same order. Just read off their dollar. It's fifteen thousand dollars. $105,000, and for eBay, finally, one hundred and sixty, over $160,000 per employee. So you got to wonder what kind of laptops these these um, 
these pin to a door employees are getting. It must be just garbage, you know? Are they just on their cell phones? Like, what? They don't get anything. Bring your own device, I think, you know? <laughs> well, if they're, uh, how many of them are working on, on a, at the office? How many of them are working in, in other, you know? more you know where they don't actually have that equipment it's all work from home yeah. it's been work from home for this is these are all these numbers from 2019 so this is before you know, we should move on because we're almost at an hour now and we're going to need our our wonderful wonderful editor so the the, go. the bull case the bull case of this would have to be how efficient and great their management is in using you know these these physical assets it's incredible um, blows the mind. Anyway, but for a, for a, for a comp, for a company that has been 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 growing at that rate, that that is not usually what you what you would be expecting at this stage of their growth cycle. But anyways, so that is well, all their all their spending goes out the door, you know, in terms it to intangible advertising mm. promotional stuff. It's kind of, I mean, <laughs> okay. Anyways, well, we're we're already way we're 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 way over time. Because we talked about the two most interesting ones first. Now the more um, the uh, the old. Let's not do the numbers. I I can start with ten cent if you want. Ten ten cents ten cents doing great. Their gaming is 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 keeping them afloat. They're growing. Shareholders are happy. Go James. <laughs> yeah. So the 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 only things I'll just the hot takes or whatever medium warm takes or something. Um, so they seem to be. Uh, moving into or in on Billy Billy's space a little bit to me. They sort of hinted at, at that on the call a little bit. They're doing it with media. They're doing it with anime. And I think there's a social component to it too, which would be like kind of a community thing. They mentioned on the call that the fintech regulations, they don't think there's going to be a real impact on them. And that's mainly because they've kind of got, they've taken a go slow approach, I guess, compared to Ant Group, which seems to be going much, much faster in terms of growing their their loans that they're making and everything. On antitrust, there's a question on that on the call. The call, the, the quality of the questions on the pin, on the Tencent call is quite, quite a bit different. Um, Tencent, they don't think antitrust is going to be a big deal because, and this is interesting, they, they said they Try not to dominate the market. So they, they like competition, particularly in online games. You know, they see competition as a positive for them. I would just, you know, I wonder if antitrust would ever go after Weixin WeChat, because that's clearly the dominant platform in terms of messaging and communication. And they talked about uh, distributors. So Billy Billy is a distributor that they're, they're they're working more with, and they're mainly doing that so they can avoid the Android Google kind of high take rates on their you know their app store fees. And supposedly they're they're kind of re- trying to renegotiate with uh, Android their app store and try to get a more fair pricing because they think. You know, Billy Billy as a distributor probably adds quite a bit of value because there's other content there. The users are probably stickier. There's there's quite a bit that they're doing to push those those games, right? They're showing them to their users. They're advertising them. There's content about the games on their platform. You know, there's like lots of stuff. Whereas an app store, you kind of wonder, you know, what can they do besides have a list and like a search discovery function 
and maybe, you know, editor, editor review, like, you know, kind of suggestions, but yeah. So that's, if they can get kind of lower app store fees for, for Tencent, you know, because they are a big player and they have so many investments and investee companies, uh, that would be good for the whole, you know, the whole ecosystem of mobile gamer, mobile game publishers and, and developers. So, you know, there is kind of a, uh, a big is can do good kind of thing here uh, story probably. But yeah, I mean, I can look, we could talk about their, their growth and their numbers, but it's all pretty solid, you know, fee-based VAS subscribers up 25%. They got 120 million video subscribers, you know, paying video subscribers. So they're, they're above Billy Billy in that. I mean, so, you know, there's lots of, positive things the way that i look at them is that they're they're not they're not like have you ever had a 10 cent product except from wechat which is kind of which is given a lot of leeway i mean they, their whole team is based in a different city alan jong has kind of a lot of a you know, authority over it but aside from that you know they're they're not that great in making their products and their products aren't that great aside from gaming the gaming is really kind of their heart and oh, soul. Oh, they're a gaming company. Yeah, for sure. and that, so that's something that I that I keep looking at. You know, it's and then they they're they're also a really good investment I mean, company. Like they they they're 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 they've they're a very good VC, and that's kind of the way that I see them is that they have ownership over over WeChat, but really at their their heart and soul, they are a gaming company and they are uh, a VC. But uh, Michael, you have any thoughts on that? So look, I think that. Um, Tencent's done really, really well. In the interest of time, I don't want to speak about any specific results. The only thing that I wish to draw people's attention to is is, is two things. The first is that Tencent fintech business, so payments plus, let's call it money management as a broad identifier, yes, I think has been underlooked for a long time. It's lived in and financial shadow, but when you get down into it and you see the amount of offline payments they command, uh, so this idea of um, you're at a you're at a shop, what are you paying with Alipay versus WeChat Pay? Invariably, the answer comes to WeChat Pay, and I've seen data which suggests that they've got about seventy to eighty percent of those offline payments, those that offline transaction volume, which I think is is, in, is incredible. Um, and then also you have the very slow build of the wealth management platform. And I think there's reason for them to go slow, particularly in this environment, but they did call it out as, uh, as a cause for the as a cause for the increase in the fintech and business services unit. Um, verbatim, the increase was mainly due to higher revenues from commercial payment and wealth management. And I do think that that will just continue to trundle on very, very nicely. But it's tucked away as a part of the business that very few people really, really give a, a full consideration to. Uh, and I think that that's a bit of a shame, but hopefully that'll change. And the second thing that I'd like to say is that I've had an idea for some time now of a follow Tencent ETF. Elliot mentioned that they're a good investor. Yeah, yeah. We want we, we wanted to, to, to do a whole podcast on this. <laughs> but um but just looking at you know a few of the 
of of these different movements in core holdings, you you get the sense that some sort of uh, it follow ten cent ETF would um, be a a fantastic little uh, wealth management product, at least in the in the last twelve to to eighteen months. <laughs> uh, past performance, of course, doesn't Te- Tesla alone. <laughs> Tesla, Snapchat, uh, Neo, like these guys, just just on fire, yeah. Afterpay, James, they, oh, you'd be happy, you'd be a happy man. Afterpay. <laughs> well, I'm very happy when I own a stock and then Tencent invests in it. I'm less happy when I'm thinking about owning a stock and researching it, and before I have like a a, a, a decent position size. They invest in. Them. At any rate, um, it is something that we'll leave for another time. But I, I just but that was not. The case uh, I think it just case. underscores yeah. how effective an investor um, they are, and even in this environment and this climate, they continue to make acquisitions, um, irrespective of whether it's them or uh, one of their sort of uh, subsidiaries. Um, the sort of the ten cent machine keeps rolling on and. Uh, if I was a betting man, which I'm not, I dare say that they would be the first um, Chinese internet conglomerate to reach a, a, tr- a trillion dollar market cap. Yeah, yeah. I, I, my money would be there too. The word that comes to my mind with Tencent is savvy. Like you look at the the way that you know you talked about their whole fintech space. You look at how they've played their cards versus how Ant has. You know, and you know, like uh, Pony Ma versus Jack Ma is far more, I think, uh, appropriate for the world that we live in now. Like he's, he's going to keep his cards closer to his vest. He's not going to be brash. He's, and he's going to find a way to work within the system which exists. So whether that be, if you look at their investment strategy, right, getting minority shares in these overseas companies so that you know, there, there's not a real, you know, CFIUS isn't going to gonna go too hard into it. I mean, knock on wood, right? But there's, or or not 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 really upsetting and rocking the boat too much in China domestically either. But they're pl- they're in a very, very, very difficult space right now globally. And they have been thus far, I think, they've played their cards very, very well. And uh, I guess we'll, we'll just ha- keep, have to having to, to to watch and see how things go, but I think that they have a very done a very good job of trying to avoid kind of the key uh, kind of fault lines, while at the same time really investing strongly in these these growth areas. And it's it's been very impressive as far as I'm concerned. Anyways, though, on wealth on wealth management, they've done a good job, kind of stepping back and not jumping in too quickly. I mean, you we saw. Uh, there's just a lot of bad financial products out there and there's a lot of sort of scammy stuff and you know there's the implicit guarantee which I think we've talked about with um, on the podcast I think with Michael Pettis but these things are all kind of and you know we see it kind of happening right now a lot of SOEs are kind of defaulting on bonds and this is part of you know probably a they're trying to orchestrate to some degree some sort of Reevaluation of this implicit guarantee, and as the general financial kind of system in terms of financial products and what's on offer to consumers or to regular, you know, folks, not not institutions, as that improves, you know, and as I mean, Tencent, I think it was James Mitchell mentioned, you know, they want to improve 
to to increase their wealth management in terms of like what they would themselves want to be investing in. They don't want to kind of just pitch or put products in front of their large numbers of users just to get some fees and to kind of do this. You know, they have a, a much more kind of careful approach to it. And, you know, and that's kind of user centric. That's part of, you know, everything that they do. Uh, and I will also say just just quickly, when, when you if you listen to their them talk about listen to Martin Lau talk about games, he's got I mean he just has a very they they see the trend they're so invested across the spectrum of different gaming companies and everything they see all these trends that are happening you know wherever they are and they're just very very smart about this stuff. Um, so if you're interested in games, I think. You know, just listening to those parts of yeah. the uh, earnings calls for Tencent is a is an interesting way to get a little bit of insight. Well, they have they have Martin Martin Lau is kind of business savvy, but they're also at the same time culturally they're vanilla ice cream. And I, I work with them, you know, Tencent, in a number of different ways. But there's their brand is something that is, you know, a acceptable. That is, you know, when you have vanilla ice cream, vanilla ice cream is what the most people will order and it's not going to upset anybody and it's reliable and it's professional and it's, and, you know, it's the same way that, you know, nobody ever got fired going with IBM. And I think that there is, that there is a, a degree to which that they, that that is what they're wanting to do at, at, as Tencent, you know, wherever they are in the world is just to be the consistent uh, vanilla ice cream that, um is not going to rock the boat and not going to create trouble and continuing to give value to their shareholders. And uh, that's what's good about them. <laughs> but they've already, Tencent's already been through their regulatory sort of ring of fire. There are so many rings of fire, though. With, when they kind of change the way. <laughs> For now. Yeah, but there's, there's always a regulatory ring of fire, you know. For Chinese tech companies, mm-hmm. there's always going to be one or two. And then Tencent's kind of been through theirs and they've recovered and Ant Financial or Ant Group's kind of going through theirs right now. We'll see how that goes. But yeah, anyway. Anyway, okay. So, and that's of course the big news in the in the last couple of weeks. The antitrust. That's something that we didn't talk about this time, but probably deserves its own episode. I <laughs> think, and the implications for a number of different actors. But uh, for another time. Yeah, we're going to need to to bring on somebody who has a you know kind of can specifically talk about antitrust in a in a, a broader sense. Um, so we'll have to look into that. Anyways, I'm, I'm kind of, the, the thing I, I'm curious about just real quick, it's on Pinduoduo is how the subsidies in the antitrust, you know, will play out for them and if they'll have to kind of reevaluate their entire business mm. model based on it. I kind of doubt that'll happen. We were supposed to be positive, James, positive. Enough negative stuff on the, the PP&E, but yeah, we should probably wrap this up. Michael, thank you so much. Yes, we should. Uh, <laughs> Brief Norris on Twitter, B R I E F N O R R I S. Michael, how else can people get in contact with you? So the the Twitter handle that's great. Uh, Michael Norris on LinkedIn, both are fine. Um, but uh, yeah, irrespective of of where you go, plenty of posts and occasional kicks into the into the shins of the companies that don't like me very much. Oh, he's a great follow. A great it was, follow. It was it was great uh, to speak to you both of you. A, a regular shit stirrer. Oh. That's why we love our Michael Norris. I, I, I try <laughs> try and keep people on their toes. <laughs> Much appreciated. 
As you should. That's what you're good at. And 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 James J- James Hull X. And uh, anything else you want to share, James? No. Let's let's wrap it up. We're already okay. Cool. All right. Well, thank you to thank you very much to David, to Peter, and to Susanna, and uh, to our listeners. And we'll catch you all next time on the China Tech Investor Podcast. Bye bye now.